and welcome to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 47. I'm Nick Dixon, very ill, but still here with Toby Young. And coming up, Farage wins a flawless victory, Elon Musk decides to ruin Twitter, and Sadiq Khan ends all violence against women. That's nice, isn't it? Plus our top stories, and of course, peak woke. But Toby, obviously we've got to get into the Farage um, story in a second. That's the big one this week still. But a quick, quick I don't know, apology maybe to the listener, or just a note to the listener that I have, I've managed to get a... The China virus, the China virus, it came from China. I don't know if it's a China virus or not, but um, I've got a some sort of what feminists would call a man flu. So just flagging that in case the listeners are complaining. But we're doing the podcast anyway, even though I'm in terrible distress. And um, yeah, and Toby's basically forced me to do the podcast, guys. It's this classic kind of Toby workaholism because he threatened to just release something else instead of the podcast if I didn't do it. So I'm here <laughs> under massive duress. <laughs> But um, do you want to? Do you want any comment on that? Tell me right to reply. Well, yeah, I, to I, 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 I suggested because um, you're unwell um, that instead of um, our recording a podcast this week, we release a recording of me and Isabel Oakshot doing our live show in which um, we discussed the WhatsApp messages, her being hired by Matt Hancock to co-author the Pandemic Diaries, her falling out with Matt, giving the messages to. The Telegraph, and also the actors reading out some of the more embarrassing, funny bits from the WhatsApp messages. It was a very amusing show. The audience loved it, um, and we've got a pretty good recording of it. And um, it's ready to go. But uh, I think you, you thought that would um, that would kind of sully the brand um, and and be something that our listeners weren't expecting. And um, you didn't want to muddy 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 the waters like that. So you, I've dragged you from your sick sick bed. To, uh, against your better judgment to, to do the podcast. Yeah, and, and now as you put it like that, this is probably thinking, well, that sounds really good and better than Nick just moaning about his sore throat. It probably would be a lot better. So maybe listeners can write in if they actually want to hear that, and then we can release it as an additional one. I just didn't want to, you know, shock the listener with something completely different. We can release it as an additional, uh, you know, if they want that. Let us know. Um, all right, well, that's that. But let's get into this Farage story then. So massive story last week, still going on this week. The Coots scandal. And Farage has won, basically, in a crushing, crushing victory because Dame Alison Rose stepped down. You knew she was in trouble when she got the full confidence, the full backing of the board, which is what all football managers get when they're about to get canned. It did seem completely untenable that she would stay, and it has proved such. And um, obviously a big victory for Farage. And Toby, the left, have just gone absolutely mental in their sort of doubling down and their sort of pivoting. And... Uh, you know, they started off saying, oh, it's a commercial decision. What are you all talking about? And um, then they sort of switched to, oh, well, they, we don't like Farage. And now they've, sort of got, they've gone now with all sorts of bizarre takes on it. Their, their, their latest take, one, one thing is it's quite suspicious that they're all rallying to defend this person, even though it's completely commercial and not political. They're all rallying around her, all the sort of lefties like Kevin Maguire and various others, a Labour MP, all saying that, you know, how terrible it was. Some guy called Jonathan List says the head of a bank having to resign because she briefed slightly incom- incomplete details about a nasty little fascist is as predictable as it is unhinged. Truly, we've got the country we deserve. And Kevin Maguire, none of the notorious liars and con merchants who fibbed about Brexit have apologised or quit. So a bit of kind of what aboutery. Darren Jones MP saying, you know, no one pressured the CEO of PNO to to go, even though he illegally sacked 800 workers. But of course, people did pressure him to go. So it's not even factually true. And it's just been credible cope from the left. Um, Dara O'Brien wrote a stupid tweet about it. I sort of destroyed him. 
He replied to me. I didn't even read his reply. Omid Jalili, another regime comedian, says, Mr. Farage accepts apology by the BBC and makes an important stand for racists everywhere. Racists are an endangered group and must be protected. It's like they're competing for the worst possible take, Toby. One quick fun one, because it involves you, was uh, old uh, Richard Bacon, our friend Richard Bacon, friend of the podcast, when he said, which we've talked about before, you, a several hundred-year-old bank puts out a statement, Toby smells BS. Nigel Farage puts out a tweet, Toby smells truth. You are so stupid, Toby. I find it hard to believe you exist. And I just put the overconfidence of the stupid man because we now know that Bacon is completely <laughs> wrong. And I know people yeah. love my posting about my tweets. That's got over 3,000 likes. Defending you as always, Toby. Of course, Simon Jack, Thank just you. to fully recap, eventually apologized, didn't he, in a kind of gritted teeth manner and basically fobbed it off and blamed his senior source, which later turned out, of course, to be Alison Rose, which we all knew anyway. And it's just been a complete embarrassment and pathetic kind of defending of a of of, of a private of a bank, not even a private bank, because we own thirty eight point six percent of it, of course. But it's just all been completely pathetic from the left. But but it's a total victory for Farage. What do you think, Toby? Yeah, no, the the left certainly hasn't covered itself in glory on this one. Um, I've seen a lot of tweets, um, you know, quote quoted um, with people writing above. This didn't age well, um, and a lot of what the left um, have said in defence of Coots, NatWest, Alison Rose hasn't aged well. Um, uh, but though, though, to be fair, um, uh, 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 very much um, uh, 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 at the last minute, um, Keir Starmer did say uh, he said this. I think on was it on LBC or possibly on Times Radio. I certainly don't think anybody should be refused banking services because of their political views, whoever they are. So I don't know the extent of this, but that certainly shouldn't be the case. So uh, I think the Labour Party have finally acknowledged that um, withdrawing service um, from someone just because you disapprove of their perfectly lawful political views um, is not something a bank should be doing. Uh, they, they finally acknowledge that with enormous reluctance. I mean, literally, that's has to be that's had to be kind of pulled out of them. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, the the, the the bad takes have just been you know, there's just been a tsunami of bad takes, and um, I think. You know, Farage has just played an absolute blinder. Though, I mean, I suppose it, he couldn't have hoped for um, a bigger mistake than when Alison Rose found herself sitting next to um, the BBC business editor, and as far as we know, um, told him that the reason Farage had been debanked is because um, he had insufficient funds in his account, didn't meet the financial thresholds to have a Coots account. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is, um, uh, it's quite important that we don't characterize that as a lie, but more as an incomplete uh, version of events. I mean, I think, and, and Nigel, when I was when I appeared on Farage three days ago, um, he, he pointed out that um, he wouldn't have been debanked in spite of the dossier that was compiled on him documenting all his politically incorrect opinions if he'd had enough money if he hadn't if he if he'd met those financial thresholds and he probably wouldn't have de been debanked and i was quite surprised when he said that but only afterwards did i realize the reason he said that is because if he's going to complain to the office the information commissioner's office as well as to the financial conduct authority and possibly sue um uh Alison Rose, Coots, Nat West for breach of confidence, um, then it's important that there should be an element of truth 
in what she said to um, the BBC. Um, uh, because if it's not true, if she just made it up, then it wouldn't be a breach of confidence. It's only a breach of confidence if she's passing on confidential information about Nigel that's true. Uh, so I think I think I think his case is mm. that um, that wasn't the that wasn't the whole of the story. That was a contributory factor, but the way in which she presented it to the journalist was misleading because the implication was that was the sole reason for debanking him, and it wasn't also because of his opinions about various issues like immigration, Brexit, the vaccine, Trump, etc. Um, so I think it's it, it's a subtle distinction, but I think it's 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 important that we acknowledge. So we don't undermine Farage's Farage's blockbuster of a case on multiple fronts. That this was in fact a breach of confidence, and um, had he met those financial thresholds, then he probably wouldn't have been debanked, in spite of supposedly being, you know, a toxic individual. Um, anyway, no, it's it's, okay. it's a fascinating story, and I think it's fan- the the the, uh, the, 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 the the it's been it's very important um, because. Um, you know, it's now much harder. It's going to be much harder, I think, for banks in future to debank people for you know because they disapprove of their perfectly lawful political beliefs. Um, uh, and and yeah, the government has made it clear that um, it doesn't think banks should be doing this. It's changed the pun- payment services regulations partly as a result of free speech union lobbying because it happened to us, of course, last year. Um, and it's going to take further steps. And today, Andrew Griffith, the City Minister um, read the Riot Act to, you know, more than a dozen banks saying they really shouldn't do this. Rishi Sunak has said they shouldn't do this. Now, even Keir Starmer has said they shouldn't do this. So I think in terms of stopping this particularly pernicious, sinister new form of cancel culture, which of course originated in communist China, I think what Nigel's done and to a lesser extent what the Free Speech Union have done has been very important. Um, I think we have, you know, I think we have for the time being anyway, put a stop to this, um, which is, you know, a huge victory. Um, I guess the, the, the broader question is, um, is, is this a kind of Bud Light moment when it comes to woke corporations? Are we going to see corporations not just, you know, not just banks and payment processors, but across the board, are corporations going to become um, a little bit more inhibited, a little bit more cautious before trying to cancel people for not being woke? Um, and are they are they going to kind of row back a bit on their kind of embrace of woke ideology? Um, is this a Bud Light moment for the kind of woke corporate sector in general? And, and I, I, I don't know the answer to that. It may be wishful thinking. What do you think? I do have some thoughts on that. Just very quickly on on Labour. I mean, I think this Starmer you're saying has finally come out against it. Labour have been pretty weak on it. Claire Fox was highlighting here that Nick Thomas Simmons was was very dodgy on it. Um, Shadow International Trade Secretary Labour. You know, to me, it's not clear that they they if they were in, they would they would make any effort to be against this this kind of thing. Um, and can I, I'll just give you one more shocking take that came from the deputy editor of D Smog. I think he is. This guy, Sam mm. Bright, just to give you an idea. Did you see this one? Farage forced the, the disclosure of internal documents through a subject access request and is now threatening to sue on the basis of what they said, chilling an incredibly dangerous precedent to set. I mean, that's just bizarre. Well, so I just wrote, so the chilling precedent is not the bank compiling a massive dossier on you in order to kick you out <laughs> for your political views, but an individual standing up to that bank. Extraordinary. So that's where they're at. But to try and answer your question, Toby, well, I had a typically kind of, some might say typically <laughs> black pill take, but I think I think it kind of answers your question. See what you think to this. 
I said, the odd thing about the Coots scandal is not that it happened, but that they have to pretend this isn't just the norm now, because some people still believe we live in a free liberal democracy. An honest statement from them would just be silence plebs. We are the regime. So my point there was (laughs) that really it's not surprising at all that any of this happens. The surprising thing is that it's, that it's, and there's been any pushback and that they've had to apologize. But my, my theory on that is this kind of thing is everywhere. It's all banks. Probably my guess is it's all woke corporations, but we still have to pretend because there must be part of part of people that knows that woke authoritarianism is bad, or at least will be seen as bad by normal people who aren't part of the ideology, right? So they have to sort of scuttle around and apologize. Was really this is just how they think they should behave. And if you listen to even people in my football team who I call the extended blob, you know, two of them saying that Jacob Rees-Mogg should be in jail. These people now think that their enemies shouldn't be allowed to bank and should be in jail and things like this. These are normal views amongst the kind of the sort of metro liberals who have been captured by wokeness or have been captured by sort of enraptured by their own views and their own sort of hardcore remainer views, for example. For example, the idea I realized the other day, they often believe that Keir Starmer is going to come back in and bring us back into the EU. And I realized the other night that is their religious story. They think Keir Starmer, what I mean, what a squalid savior Keir Starmer is. They think Starmer is going to come back and bring us back into the EU. So that is their version because because they're not Christians and they're all heathens. That is their secular version of religion is that Starmer is the savior. I just figured that out the other night. So I'm, I know I'm going off the topic a little bit. So, but here's my thing on that, Toby. They must realize on some level, it's at least bad optics to behave like this, or perhaps they didn't realize because they got caught out so easily and they were so casual. But now there's enough of the population, often called the silent majority and so on, who still say, hang on, this is wrong. And an, an alarming amount double down, especially on the left and say, oh, it's no, this is good. But, but they still have to pay lip service to this idea that it's wrong because they've been caught out. But isn't this just how the regime behaves now? Well, I I have a more optimistic take. Um, I think it's interesting that um, <laughs> the only people that have been defending Coots's debanking of Farage are kind of people on the fringes of kind of um, the public conversation. People like Richard Bacon and you know the people you've identified as regime comedians. No one who's actually no one you know no serious figure has actually attempted to defend what Coots has done, including, I mean, the, the Peter Flavel, the CEO of Coots, has been, you know, completely absent. He hasn't come out and defended what Coots have done. No Coots employees have tried to defend the um, uh, accumulation of this dossier on Nigel Farage. Um, even even the head of NatWest didn't attempt to defend on the face of it what had happened, which is that he was debanked for political reasons. She had to emphasize a completely different reason um, to make it sound like it wasn't remotely contentious. It was just because he hadn't met the thresholds to have a bank account at this prestigious millionaire's bank. Um, And the board, the board of NatWest haven't tried to defend the debanking of people because they don't fit with the values of the particular bank. I mean, you'd think that if, if if this was, as you say, you know, this unbelievably powerful blob like ideology 
um, which it was impossible to gainsay. Well, why hasn't anyone serious? Why hasn't anyone involved in the decision actually tried to defend it? That it's as though they know it's indefensible, um, and it, maybe they suspect it might be defensible, but they haven't worked out how they could go about defending it. One of the kind of telltale um, passages in the thirty-six page dossier—I can't remember whether we discussed this last week—was the claim that the decision to debank him wasn't a political decision. It was just because he didn't fit with the inclusive values, the purpose of Coots. Um, it was as though their embrace of equity, diversity and inclusion, anti-racism, the trans rights agenda, climate activism and so forth, there was nothing remotely politically contentious about that. It was beyond politics. It was all completely settled. Um, uh, 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 but I think now that, now that you know, it's been made abundantly clear that it's not settled, that the majority of people, including the leader of the Labour Party, wouldn't defend the debanking of people because they don't fit with the bank's inclusive values. And it's actually a political decision which needs to be defended if you're going to do it. I think it, they, may, they may have second thoughts. They may realise that um, you know the, 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 this, this ideology that they've embraced is in fact an ideology. I mean, one of the curious things I think about the way in which the woke mind virus spreads is that the carriers aren't aware that they're carrying it. Um, they don't think that when they enforce this particular ideological dogma, punish people for non-compliance, that they're doing anything remotely ideological. Um, but um, uh, they're unaware of that. You know, they just think they're doing something which is completely obvious, which any normal person would do. They think it's kind of morally completely uncontentious that if you, if you, if you, if you in any way criticise Pride Month, then you're completely beyond the pale. Uh, you're just, you know, you're you're a deplorable and don't really deserve to be a customer of my prestigious institution. Um, so, so I think that you know, I think that if you make them aware of the fact that actually their decisions are highly political, they've embraced a contentious ideology, uh, and if they're just when when they're when they're pulled up about it, are incapable of defending themselves. I think that will that that is that is a blow. I think to to um, the monolith of kind of the woke blob. Uh, so I'm I'm reasonably optimistic that it might not be a turning point, but it's certainly it's certainly I think we we've certainly I think Farage, Free Speech Union, and others have definitely struck I think an important blow. Well, I'm certainly not disagreeing on that, and I said that last week. I definitely think. It's a win. It's a big win. And it, and it means that these companies realize there's now a cost. It's not just a case of wokeness is the complete safe thing to do. Or, you know, you cannot, and that this is just, there's a cost to being woke, whereas before they just thought woke was a safe thing. So I agree that's a big win. My other point, though, we might have a, just a subtle difference here is that I'm saying they seem to know that their behavior is wrong. And that's why they can't publicly defend it in the way that you've mentioned. But that is the big question. Do they know? Are they lying? I mean, you referenced that You referenced that strange quote, this was not a political decision, but one centered around inclusivity and purpose. And I said last week, either they're lying or they're so entrenched in ideology, they don't even realize other worldviews are valid. And this is a big question, isn't it? Do they just, here's my thing, do they just think, hey, wokeness is great, or here's the thing: Do they just do they do they know that they're following an, an extreme ideology or not? I'm sort of torn between they don't realize they're actually doing it, and that other worldviews are available, 
Or my other idea that they all do it in private and they know there's something off about it because when it becomes public, as you say, they have to say, no, it was just commercial reasons, guys. It wasn't our evil plans to destroy the West with woke ideology, right? They, they can't say that, but they know in their little circles, but they know that it's too extreme. They're just polit- they're political agents. They're like, like some communist meeting in a, in a, in a pub uh, basement or something. And they're saying like, here's how we're going to win, guys. First, we have to capture the kids or the education whatever they say in these communist meetings right but then they come out and they have to have a much more palatable face you know what i mean kind of how um keir starmer doesn't admit to being a pabloite or tony blair didn't admit to how radically left he was so is it is it just they can't admit it in public no i I don't think they've given much thought to it um i think they're you know it's as though they've been turned into automaton carriers of the woke mind virus um, uh, it's just for them, it's just tribal, it's just instinctive, it's just a way of signaling their membership of the Brahmin class. Um, they haven't given any thought to it, they don't think about it, um, which is why they can make these absurd statements and say it's not, it's not political, um, <laughs> we're just status signaling, you know. Um, but uh, uh, so I think, I think you know, they're kind of um, unthinking carriers. Um, who are just um, enforcing this dogma without realizing that they're kind of almost as though it's almost as though they're you know that they've been captured by the blob, and there is no kind of con- the way you're thinking about it, which is that you know behind closed doors they kind of know what they're up to, and they they're much more candid about what it is they're up to, and they're aware that they're kind of you know. Um, promoting this hard left political identitarian agenda and they're trying to destroy traditions the family etc i don't think that's 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 not what's going on and i don't think that's the way to look at it i think it's it, think of it as more like the invasion of the body snatchers in which there is this kind of you know ant like hive um which has a hive mind and they've just kind of captured the minds of these individuals and turned them into kind of mouthpieces of the collective. And, and, and it doesn't require any thought. It doesn't require any agency, a decision to promote a particular agenda. They're just useful idiots. Okay. But that still leaves us with the question, why then, upon being caught and exposed, do they not just continue to, to you know, mouth the platitudes of the woke mind virus, to use Elon um, Musk's phrase? I think it's because um, they don't. They, it, it, it's not that they have kind of access, ready access to kind of um, uh, equally um, unthought out platitudes to justify their position. You know, it, it's 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 paper thin, um, which is why when you challenge them, um, uh, they're, 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 they, it, 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 they give the impression of sort of intellectual helplessness. They don't know how to go about defending themselves. That was apparent. Um, you know, we discussed this, I think, a couple of episodes ago in the context of the LGB alliance versus mermaids and the you know expert witnesses summoned by mermaids who were Stonewall employees, one particular employee who turned up in court with his therapy dog um, and couldn't defend you know Stonewall's position on any of these issues because they're never required to defend it because 
there is no kind of intellectual edifice that they're aware of on which it rests. It's just they're just aping, you know, um, uh, these kind of these cliches that they almost as though they've been they've been handed a script and they're just reading it out. And if, it's like asking an actor playing a fascist to justify fascism. They wouldn't know how to go about it. They're just reading a script. Mm, but then why did Alison Rose, Dame Alison Rose, and it must take some sort of brain to be the CEO of a major company, e- even allowing for a certain amount of box ticking, why didn't she just come out and say, this was not a political decision, but one centered around inclusivity and purpose? Why didn't she double down on the so-called values of the bank? Why did she pivot to, oh, it was purely commercial and we're very sorry? She must have known there was something wrong with that internal memo you know, versus what you can say in public. Well, I think it's because she... she, she... She, I think it's because, like the you know, like like, like the rest of the kind of non non player character woke army, um, she didn't have anywhere to go when asked how to justify that. She, she she could have made that statement, but you know, had she made that, she then would have there would then would have been a follow up question, you know, which was surely it is political, you know, um, uh, if someone doesn't share your values and you're kicking them out of your bank because they don't share your values, I mean that's a political decision, isn't it? Particularly if what they're saying isn't unlawful and they haven't done anything to break the law, and there are no other reasons you could possibly debank them. Um, you know, it, it's clearly a political decision. She wouldn't have known how to answer that, so she went for the kind of easier option, I think. Hmm. Well, I think it's a bit more sinister because if you take, and I won't dwell on it too long, but if you take my extended blob friends and the way they say things like Jacob Rees-Mogg should be in jail, they would never say that publicly. I'm sure they wouldn't say it in a meeting at work, but they just say it amongst themselves or people they don't care about like me, in my opinions, they just, or when they've got enough friends around them. I think they just speak in this way within these organizations and then publicly they know that they can't defend it. So I think uh, we have a sl- maybe slight difference on that. Well, you know, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, you know, um, uh, being too dogmatic myself. I expect they don't want to sound illiberal. They don't want to sound nakedly authoritarian um, because they know right. that's slightly off-putting um, and you know hard to defend. Um, uh, and maybe in private they're kind of less inhibited about being openly authoritarian. Uh, that, that's 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 possible. Yeah, I think that's a big part of the whole movement. I think I think the whole thing is we have to pretend. You know, these people, I'll, I'm in favor of free speech, but, you know, that, those kind of people, or they always have to start like that. They, because we've been a so-called liberal democracy and we've, we've lived a certain way, they still, and they know that people actually like that. You can't sell the new ideology on like, hey guys, we just want to basically run your life. There's no free speech. You'll eat the, the bugs. Occasionally, you know, the WF shows their hand and says, you, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And then everyone goes, oh, whoa, whoa, what's all that about? They go, oh, sorry guys. And they delete it. But mainly they have to still pretend that, that they're so liberal because they know that is actually what people like and that's better. But they know mm. that's not what they're doing anymore. So they always have to pay yeah. lip service to it. Yeah. But I mean, I think we discussed on a previous episode that um, one of the reasons bank employees, even quite senior bank employees, including Alison Rose, seemingly, um, have embraced this ideology is because for them, it's the path of least resistance. Um, It's what they think will reap rewards in their careers. Um, They haven't really thought about it. It's not because, you know, they're marinated in neo-Marxist postmodernism. It's just, you know, the, the, the current thing. Um, so one way to defeat it is to make it clear that um, actually, you know, the, the costs in terms of your career, if you do enforce this 
hard left authoritarian dogma um, is it's going gonna, it's gonna to actually cause you more harm than good. So it's actually really helpful that she's had to fall on her sword. And I hope that we now see the rest of the NatWest board resign. We see Peter Flavel resign, the board of Coots resign, and we see a further deterioration in the NatWest share price. Last time I checked, NatWest um, had lost um, $850 million from its market cap. We need to see that climb a lot higher. Um, but if, 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 if the costs of, of having done this multiply and you know, more heads roll, that will be enormously helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's where we do agree. I think, yeah, a lot of those people will have to go and it's big. It's a big win. So it's a big win. We, we disagree on some of the nuance, but we definitely agree on that. So you wanted to go on to Barbie, Toby. You have me at a slight disadvantage here because I've been too ill to do much research. And in my illness, I've been rewatching Shadowlands, which is one of my favorite things to do. And, um, and listening to C.S. Lewis and rereading Michelle Welbeck's book, Submission, which is probably not most people's choice. Window. Actually, when, it, when most people are ill, they probably would want to watch something like Barbie. I've gone for just really heavy stuff, but I haven't actually watched Barbie. I mean, Tate claimed, I think it was Tate that said as a 40-year-old man or something, you, sh- you shouldn't be watching Barbie. Famously, Ben Shapiro did a complete takedown of it. Now, I, what I have seen, though, and only you can answer this, because you you've seen it and I haven't, is that whether it's woke or, or not, because I've seen people like Laura Loomer saying it's actually anti-woke, and I've seen uh, the Lotus Eaters say it's accidentally anti-woke, and I've seen other people just say it's super woke. What was your take? Yeah, I think it's pretty woke. Um, uh, so the the, the, the plot, um, for those who haven't seen it, and this may include spoilers, so switch off now if you're worried about that. Um, so it starts off... Well, skip. In don't, Bar- sw- don't switch off. Just skip forward. Skip forward. It's, it starts off in Barbie land which is a kind of feminist utopia. Um, you know, you see President Barbie, Dr. Barbie, wheelchair Barbie, trans Barbie, um, and uh, all nine Supreme Court justices are Barbies. Um, Margot, what's her face, plays um, stereotypical Barbie. Uh, and um, uh, it, But, it, but, it, but it, it, men are reduced to kind of appendages, kind of posing around in their beachwear, hoping against hope that one of the Barbies will notice them and that makes their day. And they're literally eunuchs. Um, uh, And um, then stereotypical Barbie, the central character, experiences some existential doubt. She begins to think about death and she goes goes to have a consult with weird Barbie who tells her it's because her owner is suffering from anxiety in the real world. So she has to, she wants to kind of cure herself of these kind of, this existential crisis, she's going to have to cross into the real world and talk to her owner about what's ailing her. Uh, so she crosses into the real world. Ken stows away. The real world, it turns out, is very far from being a feminist utopia. In fact, it's 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 a kind of uh, it's a it's a it's a version of contemporary Los Angeles, which is more like LA was, I imagine, in the 1950s than it is today. So as soon as she kind of arrives on Venice Beach on rollerblades and in a kind of Barbie outfit and immediately a kind of white construction worker slaps her on the bottom. She gets wolf whistled. Ken, meanwhile, discovers something called the patriarchy and, you know, um, uh, is ecstatic to discover that men actually rule the roost in the real world, unlike in Barbie Barbie land, and um, becomes a kind of Andrew Tate figure, returns to Barbie land, um, radicalizes, red pills all the men, and they effectively enslave the women and turn them into handmaidens. Barbie then returns to Barbie land and kind of quashes the rebellion and resurrects the matriarchy. 
Um, so, you know, it, it's pretty clear uh, what the message is. Um, it's basically, you know, um, agenda studies seminar dressed up as a summer blockbuster. I mean, the whole thing is kind of shot through with humor and irony. So, you know, everything has a kind of double meaning. So, you know, they've sort of tried to defend themselves, I think, against um, uh, uh, promoting this kind of uh, uh, very one-sided you know, political agenda, uh, um, um, but it, but it's pretty clear, I think, um, uh, where the where where what side of the culture war the makers of Barbie are on. Um, uh, the, the, one of the most irritating things about it is is the kind of um, self-flagellation of Mattel, the kind of um, corporate parent of the Barbie brand. Um, so um, Mattel is ridiculed um, throughout. Um, and even Barbie in early incarnations is ridiculed. So like the teenage owner of stereotypical Barbie calls Barbie a fascist. And there's plenty of kind of references to Barbie kind of causing this tsunami of self-hatred amongst um, non-stereotypical American girls because they're not white enough or perfect enough to be Barbie. Um, so they kind of acknowledge, you know, the, the, the kind of cultural baggage surrounding, the toxic baggage surrounding Barbie, at least on the kind of feminist left. Um, and, and, and Mattel kind of just absorbs all this punishment. And the CEO of Mattel is played by Will Ferrell, who reprises his role as a kind of evil capitalist doofus from the Lego movie. Um, and the entire board is, of course, male. Um, and they, of course, the first thing they do on discovering Barbie has escaped from Barbie land is to try and put her back in her box, quite literally. And there's this kind of boring subplot in which they kind of chase her around the real world, trying to kind of capture her and enslave her and send her back to Barbie land. Um, uh, but, you know, one of the things I found this very irritating is because Mattel, you know, is one of the producers of the film. And they announced that at the very beginning of the film by putting up their kind of rainbow colored logo. Um, and, uh, and it seems to me that this is an example of a, a, a much loved kind of corporate brand engaging in self-flagellation as a way of trying to do penance for the sins of the past and rehabilitate itself as a kind of pure woke kind of uh, uh, totem, um, a totem of kind of woke ideology. Uh, and it reminded me of um, uh, Bud Light hiring Dylan Mulvaney or entering into a partnership with Dylan Mulvaney. It was a way of trying to, you know, um, absolve itself of its previous sins. Yes, we may once have been associated with cishet patriarchy, but now um, we're going to embrace this trans influencer and, and, and wash away our sins. Uh, and there's an element of that in the film too. It's a way of trying to purify the Barbie brand. And to a certain extent, it's been successful. Um, it's now you know, been embraced by lots of Democrats and people on the left, and it's become a kind of celebration of fourth wave feminism, and lots of feminists are taking their daughters to see it and dressing up in pink and so forth. But um, it seems to me that actually I think it's probably a mistake and it's going to backfire. It's going to be another case of get woke, go broke, because loads of people on the right have kind of picked up on the fact that this is a kind of this is this is this is a kind of um, exocet missile being fired at them in the culture war and they don't like it. And you can see Barbie being boycotted, particularly by, you know, conservatives. Um, so I think in the long run, you know, they, they, they've, it's difficult for chief executives, I think, of these kind of multi-billion dollar corporations. They have to tread a fine line between maximizing profits, increasing the share price, you know, 
growing the company and at the same time embracing these kind of hyper-liberal values of this over-educated global elite, often which are very much at odds with, you know, their kind of capitalist priorities. And they can err in the wrong direction, um, as Alison Rose did and come a cropper. And I feel it feels to me as though Mattel have kind of got the balance wrong and erred far too far in the direction of embracing woke gobbledygook. And I think they too will come a cropper. All right. Well, that's probably the longest a man of your age has ever talked about Barbie for. <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> comprehensive. Um, I mean, Laura Luma gives a different view. She's certainly not of the left, very much far from it. She said most of the people who are calling Barbie woke didn't even see it. They just know the movie makes fun of the patriarchy, and so they think it's woke. If anything, the movie uses patriarchy to show how much better it is than feminism, and it drives home the point that a world run by only women, where women have all the power, can only exist in fantasy land, a.k.a. Barbie land. But hey, she says it's a mockery of woke culture. I mean, it sounds more more like you're correct. I wish I'd seen it in this sense because I'm always right about movies and know exactly what they intend, which is one of my gifts. So I would know for certain, but it does sound like you're you're more likely right on that one. Uh, her take seems more sort of... Although I have the accidental... The Lotus Eaters that it's accidentally based does seem quite possible, but um, I'd have to see it. Um, because I haven't seen it, should we move on and do... Uh, by the way, did you hear that thing about Margot Robbie is, is mid? Everyone was saying that she was mid. Did you see that going on on, on the on the internet? What, what mid as in not that attractive? Yeah, it was this ridiculous thing that started going around <laughs> saying because because of this Barbie thing, it all kicked off. And I was like, guys, do you want to chill out? Like, wasn't she, in Wolf of Wall Street? Wasn't she basically perfect? I mean, didn't she one of the guys perfect, actually yeah. come out and start saying that? <laughs> yeah, famously, Jonah <laughs> Hill started screaming that in the middle of a party. I won't say what happened next in case the family, there's family people listening. But uh, yeah, I mean that's madness, isn't it? But um. All right, that's my only point on that is like because I haven't seen it. All I can contribute is whether Margot Robbie is hot or not. That's all I've got. Um, but I've got far more on this other topic that's kind of related, which is Sadiq Khan's mate campaign, which, yeah, it was massive a, a few days ago. I wish we'd talked about it then. I mean, sorry, we're a day late because of my illness. But Sadiq Khan, I'm sure you've seen, released this interactive video. And the whole idea was we can solve violence against women by an interactive video featuring some lads hanging around playing FIFA. And then one of them, and of course, Toby, it's the white one, starts saying misogynist things. Oh, women's football, women's pundits, a bit crap. And we're told quite clearly in the text underneath that this is the beginning of violence against women and girls. This is how it starts, Toby. Like, do we really need female pundits? Then immediately you're just out just raping and pillaging and just you just basically become Ted Bundy within about a week of that. And so... The uh, the advert gives us the chance to click a little button that says "mate." Have you actually have you actually tried the video yet, Toby? I say yet. No, I, 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 haven't, I haven't tried it. No. I, okay, I forced myself to watch off. the whole thing, so you don't have to. Yeah, it's incredibly. It's it is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And um, you can click "mate." So for a laugh, I just clicked "mate" as soon as they said hello. So they're like, "Hey, all right, how you doing, mate?" And I went "mate," and the thing said, "You're a bit too trigger happy." I was like, "Oh no." Then if you wait for the very first misogynist thing he says, like he says a really low-level misogynist thing, if you step in and go, mate, it stops. And one of the other guys, the non-white ones, goes, mate. And it says, good for you. You, you. you stepped in early and you're rewarded. You're like, yeah, you're a good guy. And you can leave it later and later. And it says, you know, you should have stepped in earlier. But if you leave the whole video to play out, eventually a sort of synth drone noise kicks in. And the guy starts saying worse and worse things, more and more like extreme misogyny. And if you don't step in at all, at the end the evil white guy turns directly to the camera and says, mate, why didn't you stop me? 
And like he tells you off and not stopping him. <laughs> and then it gives you a chance to watch the video again. It sounds like you need to watch the video again. And you're supposed to watch it again. I'm just like, the idea that this will stop a single assault against a woman, of course, is absolutely absurd. Obviously, it's come as a result of things like Sarah Everard case and so on. And this this is clear. But the solution is just absolutely pathetic. Of course, it was anti-white in the video. And of course, it's just anti-men. If you look at the text underneath, it says, what is misogyny? And one of the things listed is self-confidence and being competitive. Two of the things listed, self-confidence and being competitive. And now hallmarks of misogyny. And just for further absurdity, Ramesh Ranganathan was brought in. He's always been perfectly nice to me in comedy, but he did this absurd thing, which is this, this, I call it a simulacrum in my seminal piece for the Daily Skeptic Guys, which you can check out. I call it a simulacrum of a stand-up set where he's on stage talking about this stuff, but he's talking about may, you should step in and say may, which no one's ever said because it's not a word. And the crowd are there sort of not laughing, but like cheering at the end. And and, and it's the, he's taken on the guise of a stand-up set to just to back this campaign. And there's another one where it's interspersed with interviews with him and Sadiq Khan. It's one of the most bizarre dystopian things I've ever seen, Toby. But what was your take? Yeah, no, well, my take is that... Um, uh, Sadiq Khan clearly isn't serious about um, wanting to reduce the number of um, assaults, uh, sexual and otherwise, against women. Um, Because if he was, he would at least try and understand um, uh, the phenomenon a little better. Um, There's there's no evidence, as far as I know, um, that um, sexist banter leads to you know, violent assaults against women. Um, Violent assaults against women are carried out by an infinitesimally tiny section of the male population. Um, And if you want to protect women, if you want to reduce the number of sexual assaults, forget about wasting money on this mate campaign. Um, uh, Just arrest the people committing these assaults and put them in prison for a long time. And that would solve the problem. I mean, when it comes to crime, um, Ed West wrote a really good piece called The Power Law of Crime, in which he pointed out that it's a tiny percentage of the population that commit the vast majority of the crimes. It isn't men in general who are assaulting women. You know, the, the, the idea that all men are rapists, or all men are potential you know, rapists, is just complete nonsense. It's not borne out by any of the data. The fact is, a tiny, tiny percentage of men carry out these crimes. Uh, And if you want to protect women from these crimes, you need to find out who these men are, arrest them and bang them up. Um, uh, You know, stop, stop letting them out on license, stop giving them community service instead of prison sentences. Um, Make sure when you bring cases against them in court, they're watertight. Put money and resources and time into building a proper case against them. That's the way to protect women and girls. This stuff is complete BS. Yeah, yeah. And one thing they claim, though, they claim they have this evidence. I'm trying to find it now, but they they, they talk about behaviorism, basically. This is nudge stuff again. And they claim that this has all been tested with behavioral science and that they they basically tell you how they're trying to manipulate you. They say this has been tested and and this actually works. So they believe they've got together with a load of uh, a load of sage type boffins. Here you go. Behavioral science shows that people are most likely to listen to their peers, people they know, trust and relate to. It's stuff like this. So they, they, they claim they've tested it and that this will work. And the other thing I know it is 
sort of a similar point there to you. You're saying that most men would never do this. It's another example of what people call anarcho tyranny. It's punishing innocent people, which is the men that have to watch this video, the men that have to be demonized, vilified by Sadiq Khan and Ramesh in their campaign. Whereas the actual rapists and murderers are just laughing their heads off. They're obviously not watching this stuff. And it's just completely ridiculous. It's just, once again, the ordinary person gets punished because that's easy to do. It's very easy to launch this campaign. It's much harder to actually solve rapes and murders. So, yes, so it's just easy yeah. to launch this absurd campaign. Yeah, and it, um, it, it, it's... Maybe we should, it, it, yeah, well, it just it reminds me of um, uh, the left's analysis of, you know, outcome discrepancies between different identity groups, whether between men and women or between people of colour and white people. Um, you know, they think the sole cause is prejudice, discrimination, bias, conscious and otherwise. Um, uh, uh, but that kind of um, simple-minded analysis doesn't get to the heart of it, doesn't get to the bottom of it at all, uh, which, which, which you know, leads to the conclusion that they don't really want to do anything about it. If they did, they'd bother to understand you know, the various factors which were contributing to these outcome discrepancies and try and address them in a kind of nuanced, holistic way. The fact that they just address this one thing, uh, and even that, you know, they don't do anything to really address because we know that unconscious bias training, anti-racism training doesn't actually make people any less biased or any less racist. Um, actually, it can sometimes have the opposite effect. It's just a complete waste of money. Um, so they've misdiagnosed the problem and then they're not even solving what they think wrongly is the cause of the problem. Um, so, in fact, all it is is just virtue signaling and you know um, trying to unify their tribe and penalise those who they identify as the political enemy. They don't really give two hoots about the people they're purporting to help or care about. Yes, and some pointed out there are other demographics that Khan could look at more carefully if he really did want to stop violence against women. Instead of the poor, the poor white male football lad who, um, and by the way, Toby, the whole thing was so badly, I didn't really blame the actors because it was such a poor script they were given. They may be good actors with better material, but it was so wooden and ludicrous. Basically, this white laddish guy comes in like, hello, Toby, thank you for inviting me to your house to watch the football. My team is superior to yours in every metric. By the way, don't you think women should be raped and murdered? <laughs> May, that's why you already, you click the button, May, it's like, you stepped in at the right time. I mean, it was that. It was that ridiculous. It was, it's it's incredibly wooden. Well, you haven't watched it, it's just like I haven't watched Barbie. So, you know, <laughs> you probably can't comment. But you should re- definitely read my piece in the Daily Skeptic. I think it was uh, the seminal work. Well, I've read it. Topic. That's very good. Very good piece. Yeah. Yeah, I was saying to the listener, but of course, I'm, I'm sure you read Sorry. it. Sorry, you, you wouldn't allow you wouldn't allow something like that in your in your in your website without thoroughly going over it. Um, well, that's mate. Do you want to have a quick look at some of these other stories that I've been too ill to follow? We've got Harry and Meghan have been up to some shenanigans, I believe. Yeah, so um hasn't been a good week for Harry and Meghan. Um, there was a story um, in some of the papers, uh, a kind of silly season story about how um, uh, abandoned copies of Spare were turning up in... Um, uh, holiday resorts all over the place. And some resorts which had actually bought various copies were now having to pulp them because so few people were interested in reading them. Um, But there was a more embarrassing story, which is uh, it turned out that, uh, incredibly, Harry and Meghan, when they were over here for the coronation, um, tried to reach out to the White House to see if they could hitch a ride back to America on Air Force One. I mean, the, the, the sense of entitlement is just 
is just mind-boggling. I mean, you know, of course they couldn't hitch a ride on Air Force One. Don't they realize, you know, what the how how kind of complicated the security protocols are? And why on earth would the President of the United States give these two grifters a ride on, you know, the presidential plane? It's just it just it's mind-boggling. Um, but um, Meghan is so delusional. She thought that the fact that um, Jill Biden wore a lemon-colored dress to, I think, the coronation, um, uh, meant that she was siding with Meghan in Meghan's ongoing battle with the royal family because Meghan had once worn a yellow dress. And so Meghan sent her a gift basket full of lemons uh, as a way of saying thank you for taking her side. It was just, it's just like you can imagine the kind of look of puzzlement on Jill Biden's face or on the face of her, you know, deputy personal assistant when she opened this box from Megan and it was full of lemons. She must have just been baffled, you know, but this was Megan's subtle way of saying, I mean, just, it's, they're, they're, they're beyond a joke now. They, 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 I mean, maybe, maybe that's not right. They've become kind of comedic figures, haven't they? Um, uh, I just, I can't see any way back for them. It's just, I, I think they're going to end up bankrupt and um, living by the side of the highway. Yeah, poor Harry. Harry, we know Harry's going to at some point come to his senses and uh, it's going to be a traumatic time for him. You know, Megan certainly, she does stuff with clothes, doesn't she? She copied all Diana's looks, uh, which we've all seen. Did you hear that theory that Megan was never pregnant? I can't remember where I heard it now in my kind of delirium while I've been ill. I somehow heard this thing that there's this conspiracy theory that Megan was never actually pregnant. She used a surrogacy because we know that no one's ever seen Michael Obama. I thought that, I thought that was Michelle Obama's kind of story. I thought that was a conspiracy <laughs> Yeah, no, it's her. both. Yeah, I, I'd never heard it about Megan. We know, we know Mike Obama has not been seen pregnant because it's a man, obviously. But, <laughs> but Megan, I guess the idea was just that she was too, what, too vain? I haven't actually looked into the conspiracy theory. She was too vain, presumably, to, to, to get pregnant. Wouldn't hide a surrogate. Yeah, that's the theory. That's the theory. Um, there was a piece in Vice saying, Meghan Markle fake pregnancy conspiracies are flooding Twitter and YouTube. But yeah, I need to look into it more and uh, before I, I shouldn't really raise things like that on the podcast, but um, quite an interesting theory anyway. Um, by the way, Mike Obama could actually be the candidate, couldn't he? I mean, you know, Roger Stone predicted it. He says Michelle Obama will be the candidate. And you can't rule out Roger mm-hmm. Stone because something else he said was that Ron DeSantis will not have what it takes to be a charismatic candidate and will flop. <laughs> and so far he's proving brutally correct on that. So I don't. I now don't rule out anything Roger Stone says because he's he's been around. You know, he was there for the Nixon campaign and so on. He knows his stuff when it comes to campaigning, and he is certain that it will be Michelle Obama versus Trump. Okay, well that'll be interesting. Um, I imagine Michelle Obama would 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 be a much more um, would 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 it would be a much much more close run thing if it's Michelle versus Trump than if it's um, Trump versus Biden or Trump versus Kamala. Um, Hard to I, beat. Of course, I'm a, uh, yeah, maybe. Because, yeah, because she she inverted commas doesn't have any sort of bad baggage. People like the Obama. That has a lot of good feelings still amongst Democrats, particularly for the Obama years, and even amongst sort of moderates who haven't realized how radically left Obama is. But she also will have the brain power, Toby, and rationality of a man. So really, killer combo. I gave you a chance to say mate there, Toby. You were supposed to go mate. <laughs> mate. Right, that was a blatant yeah, bit sorry, of misogyny. And I didn't mean it. I dropped it in purely to give Toby a chance to be an ally. I gave you a chance to be an ally, Toby, and you missed it. You might want to watch the video again. (laughs) 
Yeah, but I think if, if your attack line, if uh, Michelle Obama is the Democratic nominee, um, is that she's really a man, I don't think I don't think that'll really land. I'm not sure that'll scupper her candidacy. Um, you might have to come up with something better. I wonder if Trump will get sucked into using it though. Clearly a man. You know what I mean? Like he gets he gets sucked. You know how like people say he spent too long on the stolen election. He spends too long hammering the look at a penis. Look at the dress. You know what I mean? He hammers the kind of Michelle is a man thing, loses half the country. Michelle wins. And then towards the end, maybe maybe does announce she's a man, wins the trans community. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Let's see how it plays out. I think Mike Obama is one of the few people that could actually actually beat Trump. I hate, I hate to say it. In a fair election, I don't think Biden has a chance. I don't think anyone, I don't think Newsom has a chance, but I do think uh, Michael has a chance. Did you see Newsom um, uh, praised Barbie? He said that um, he thought um, he, he, he thought she was a fantastic role model. She exemplified his values, California's values. Um, so that to me suggested that the film is woke. What are his values? Like pl- plastic women with no genitalia? Is that what he's? Into? <laughs> I think it was. You know, it was like uh, I think she she travels from Barbie Land to the real world in an electric car. So she clearly believes in sustainability. Oh wow! On that level. Newsom is absolute scum, isn't he? He says he watches Fox News just to understand, like the uh, the sort of and how how it's damaged everyone's mental health, and he, he just it's totally evil. But he watches it to gain like an understanding of of evil. Um, he's just the, the guy is a complete. He's awful. Do you want to briefly talk about the twenty um, five year old new Labour child? Yes. Yeah, so um, yeah, Keir Mather. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but um, he won one of the three by elections. Um, and uh, he's only 25, and um, he looks like a character in The Inbetweeners, and that became a kind of running gag, certainly on social media. Um, and um, Labour MPs got very kind of affronted by that and offended um, and said it was ageist. Um, uh, how dare you? You know, he's bringing youth to the House of Commons. We need more of that. Tory MPs are way too old. You know, we've got youth on our side. Um, and it's great that we've got this in joke. He will understand the cost of living crisis, the, the housing crisis that's affecting young people so badly. Debt from university went to Oxford, of course, as well as a very expensive private school. Um, uh, but um, oddly, you know, um, one of the people to kind of leap to his defence when he was being accused of looking like a character in the Inbetweeners, too young to be an MP, was his mum, which like, wasn't a great look. You know, if you're trying to kind of present as a kind of responsible adult, you know, it's like it made him look even more like a character in the Inbetweeners. Like his mum kind of weighs in and says, how dare you say my son looks too young to be an MP? He's 25. And you're like, eh, you shouldn't really get your mum to fight your battles, Kia. Anyway, um, maybe <laughs> yeah, he had that's And he would say it. it for himself, but it's past his bedtime. Yeah, that's not ideal, is it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a bit weird. I mean, again, I've been too ill to look into it, but it's uh, – it's weird that he's called Keir. It's like they're cloning them now. Like they're just like, can we get a Starmer but just a bit younger? And it's Keir May. It's like yeah. like they were called like Darth and like Darth Vader and Darth Sidious and stuff. Just let's just get another Keir May. Isn't that a bit weird? Yeah, I wonder if his parents, like Keir's parents, um, named him after you know the famous Labour leader Keir Hardy. Um, slightly odd. Um, oh, probably because- yeah. Or is he young enough that they could have named him after Keir Starmer? Well, I suppose that's true. That's possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just going to—it's a cycle of violence. It's just going to perpetuate itself, cascading down the generations. Why would it be odd if they named him after the original Keir person? Well, only odd because 
like Keir Starmer's parents, it didn't stop them sending him to an expensive private school. You'd think if they oh, really yeah. believed in, in Labour Party values, but yeah, it's a, that doesn't prevent people from sending their children to private schools, does it? Polly Toynbee famously did it. That is very on brand now for, for Labour. Well, unless there's anything you want to add to it, maybe I'll move on to to our, 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 our one of our favourite sections. Anything else you want to add on that? No. Okay, well, let's go to our occasional section. It's Birdwatch. So, an exciting Birdwatch. Maybe we'll have to change the name of it because Twitter is no longer going to be called Twitter because Elon Musk has decided to change it to X, which is... It's a strange one because I don't, I'm sort of not following it properly, Toby, because I refuse to update any apps. So I'm just going to be the last guy using Twitter when the whole world's using X. I'm on like an update still from 1998. Just, I, I hate change. So naturally, I hate this change. And I, I can't really see any Xs because I've not updated anything. But I'm told it's changed to X and he's going to change it to X. And in one way, it's incredibly stupid because the genius of Twitter was, unlike Parler, unlike Gab, and unlike Mastodon, and on all these other things, and uh, whatever Jack's one's called, Blue Sky, whatever the heck it's called, um, the, the the genius of Twitter was that you've got all these libs already there who can't bear to leave, no matter, they keep telling us they're going to leave, but they, they refuse to leave. So you've actually got everyone on there, and it's Twitter, but you've just taken it over, and you've subverted it, in a sense, with free speech. So that was the genius of Twitter. So by changing it to X, to me, you kind of lose that, and you end up just making it seem like another partisan app whereas who, who you know will, will anyone stay on x i don't know i think it says you give up your key advantage now against that is the fact that musk is the richest man in the world genius who presumably knows more than me like ostensibly people are saying you've made this terrible branding decision it's something you would like because you're generation x but it looks like something out of 2005 it's a kind of or earlier it's a kind of crude sort of like hey cyber's cool like a kind of like the movie hackers or something it's a kind of year 2000 type of movie about the internet or something and um and it's like hey it's groovy it's x and people think it's kind of incredibly lame and cringe uh but said against that is the fact that musk is a genius and presumably knows what he's doing and, a, and a, another caveat on that point or perhaps addition to that point is that musk being the richest man in the world can probably make it a self-fulfilling prophecy that x works because we just end up using X because he, he makes us all use X. So it almost doesn't matter if his branding is lame because he's like, hey, this is what we're all using. And and the, and the smart thing about it, of course, is that it, it paves the way for it to be the everything app that he's always wanted, whereas Twitter is Twitter. Twitter is not the everything app, whereas X, this is where it probably is showing foresight, is that it will be this video banking. It will be every, every the everything app that he wants, and he'll beat everyone to it. And, it, and it's symbolic yeah. by calling it X. What do you think? I thought he'd chosen to call it X partly because his space company is called SpaceX. So it's a way of kind of um, promoting that brand as well as the social media company. Um, but yeah, yeah I, it, did, it did feel a bit odd and not terribly well thought out um, and uh, might, as you say, give kind of libtards an excuse to leave the platform. Um, but if he is actually going to turn the platform into if he's if he's going to kind of increase its functionality and introduce a banking app a bit like PayPal, but which which isn't going to deplatform people for saying they support Brexit, um, then you know more power to his elbow. Um, at the moment, the Free Speech Union is engaged in trying to assess um, which payment processing companies, which banks are least likely to debank you for being 
non-woke and which are most likely. And we're giving them kind of a score out of 10 according to you know how pro-free speech they are. And it's pretty thin pickings out there. We're struggling to find um, a, 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 a payment services provider, which is the kind of catch-all term for payment processors and banks, to recommend. Um, so, you know, if, 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 if Elon Musk rolls out a kind of non-woke PayPal via X, as I suppose we must learn to call it, then fantastic. We'll, we'll, we'll finally have found, you know, someone we can recommend um, Free Speech Union members kind of bank with. Mm. All right. And did the, uh, did the branding appeal to you of X, Toby, as a Gen Xer yourself? Um, I don't think I'm a Gen X. So I think I'm oh. actually. I'm, well, I'm. 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 I think we have we discussed this before. I'm. It, 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 I'm in the. I'm in. I was born in the year in which um, it was the last year of the Boomers and the first year of Gen X. They actually overlap. There is this tiny intersection in the Venn diagram, and I'm in that intersection. So not only am I Gen X, I'm also a Boomer. Oh wow! See, I've, I've called you a Boomer, but I didn't know. That was literally true. <laughs> literally true, my guess. Oh, I've yeah. got Gen X starting as 65 here. So I've got you as, as just being pure boomer and not even on the cusp. But um, I thought you were Gen X. You're, you seem to have a Gen X type mentality to me, but uh, maybe it explains a lot. People sometimes say, why is this Toby's take on this? Why doesn't he get it? He's a boomer, guys. That's the answer. Um, <laughs> I don't get too yeah. insulting. I called someone a boomer the other day. They told me to F off. But um, some people take it quite badly. I'm, I, funny thing about me is I'm on the cusp. I'm on the first year of millennial. So I actually right. identify more as X because my theory on that is I grew up in an incredibly backward place in a good way because we were sort of behind the times in the country up north and it was basically like it was basically like growing up in an earlier century. But I say, you know, imagine you're on the first year of millennial and you grow up in a fairly northern remote place. You, you, the mentality is very Gen X and we were watching mm. Tarantino and all these things and, and you know, my, uh, Brett East and all these type things. My mentality has always been very Gen X, and I don't identify at all with the millennial mentality, except perhaps in my kind of emotional volatility. I've probably got the worst aspects of all of them. Um, the sort of uh, the sort of cynical humor combined, which is not a bad thing, combined with the uh, emotional weakness. Um, you know, I, I, that, that reminds me of a conversation I had in Ibiza a couple of weeks ago. So um, shortly after arriving, um, me and a couple of other people um, gate crashed this party, which was taking place up the road from where we were staying. And my wife didn't come with me. She went to bed. Um, and it was a kind of, it was, it was exactly how you'd imagine a kind of an Ibethan party to be. Everyone was as high as a kite, this kind of, you know, um, uh, weird kind of, um, music was playing. Um, there was a pool, people were kind of jumping into the pool. There were copious quantities of um, alcohol everywhere. Women outnumbered men by a ratio of about three to one. Uh, the men, on average, were at least 30 years older than the women. Um, so it was like, it was, you know, it was it was the central casting movie set version of Ibiza. And I started talking to this um, beautiful Polish DJ, a woman. Um, Clarify that. And we should clarify that. Yeah. And we ended up, you know, sitting down, having a drink and um and she was she was a little bit off her face, but not not kind of incoherent. And um and uh sh she was talking about how she'd come from this small town in Poland, um, and the values of um her parents and her neighbours in this small town were very different to the values of the people she was now hanging out with in Ibiza. Uh, clearly, you know, um it could the contrast couldn't have been greater. I mean, she was living in kind of, you know, this this kind of uh, this 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 kind of 
Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and she had come from this fairly conservative Catholic small town in rural Poland. And I immediately kind of went all Nick Dixon on her and urged her to reject Sodom and Gomorrah and return to her hometown and find a nice upright man, maybe the postman or the baker to marry and have children with. And that was the path to true happiness and fulfillment. She would just turn into, you know, um, uh, uh, an empty um, uh, uh, person if she remained in this kind of moral cesspit. Um, you know, she would be used up and discarded by these predatory men who were surrounding us and who were obviously taking advantage of her in various ways. While she was still young and beautiful, she should return and um, and find herself a nice, upright, decent husband. Um, and I realized as I was saying this, and I was almost going into kind of, you know, um, uh, uh, proselytizing, kind of pulpit, tub thumping, Old Testament mode, um, and 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 sort of, uh, but but doing it, you know, from a good place, genuinely believing that 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 that, that would that would that would she ought to do it, you know, <laughs> she had to get out of this hellhole before it just you know consumed her. Um, uh, you could tell that she she, it, it, she she began to look at me with this kind of. Uh, it was as though she kind of you know she was bewitched by me. I was like a father figure, uh, her kind of local priest, telling her where she was going wrong and telling her what she ought to do, which in her heart of hearts she knew was the right thing to do. Um, and I realized at that point that if I was one of these kind of horrible predatory kind of um, uh, men um, uh, at this party, I could have used this to kind of uh, seduce her. But of course, that wasn't my motive. <laughs> um, so I, I, left, I, I, left, I left the thought with her and then went back to my villa and got into bed with my wife. That's great, Toby. That's Toby going full trad. Trad con Toby. It had to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's good that you're now you're trying to, I mean, you're trying to get people back on the straight and narrow. I, I love it. And um, on that topic, I also went to church there. Maybe we can talk about that at the end. Um, all right. So I, I feel like in my um, vast illness, I'm feeling more and more ill as the podcast goes on. I've forgotten how that all tied together with, with Elon Musk and X. Oh, yeah, the generational thing. Yeah, yeah. So Musk is calling it X because he's Gen X. And when we're sort of, yeah, we've got mixed views on it, basically. Did you also see Toby as part of Birdwatch? that um, Jamie Foxx is back. And of course, there were rumors that he'd been blinded and that all these other things. What was the other thing? They paralyzed, all these kind of rumors. Many people saying it was a blood clot as a re- uh, result of the vaccine. But he's back. He's definitely been ill. He's definitely been near death's door. But he's done a video and it was pretty funny and it was very likable as he often is, as he always is really. Obviously a genius actor and multi-talented person. Um and it is very sad if the vaccine has done this to him. Well, it's sad any either way, but particularly shocking if the vaccine did it. And um, but I don't know if you saw. Everyone was saying he was a clone. So because he came back with a much thinner, his face looks a lot thinner and his skin looks a lot paler. Both of which could easily happen if you nearly died. But someone said um, Jamie Foxx clone got the color wrong, beard missing. Someone said they're playing in our faces. Most people are easily deceived. Jamie jumping into the black SUV was bald. The posting of old pictures and this video AI upload tells me they're hiding the truth that he may be gone. Someone else says apparently he's been cloned like so many others. Someone else says that's the cheapest clone I ever saw. And my personal favorite, looks like they fixed the blinking issue, but does he have a belly button? I don't even know what that's about (laughs) because I'm not far down that rabbit hole enough. Um, I just wondered if you'd happen to catch up with uh, Jamie Foxx clone Twitter. No, I, I haven't. I, I imagine James Dellingpole may well bring it up um, uh, in London calling. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, next Monday. yeah, he's a clone, of course. Yeah. Of course he's a clone, yeah. Well, is, is the idea that, you know, <laughs> 
they've cloned him because they don't want to um, they don't want it to get out that the vax kills you because uh, they still want people to take it or they don't want a kind of mass rebellion on their hands. Is that the idea? That, that I think that's the idea, yeah. It's further confused, sorry, Toby, that his new film is called something to do with, with clones. It's called, um, it's, hang on, let me just, it's called uh, They Clone Tyrone. So the other theory is it's just an elaborate marketing ploy that like he comes back, everyone starts saying he's a clone, and then he's got a movie about clone. I don't. These people piece things together, and they they come up, they they put two and two together, and they get seventeen, don't they? It's it's yeah. kind of. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's a marketing campaign, and nor do I think he's a clone. <laughs> I expect he's just recovered from quite a serious illness, so isn't quite himself. Yeah, although I do think it it was the vaccine. This is where this is where my conspiracy moderate level is. I mean, and that's not even conspiracy, is it? Probably was from the vaccine. But not a clone, and I think that's the only sensible position. Yeah, it may, it may, it may be it may be an adverse event associated with the COVID vaccine, but um, I don't think it's actually killed him. That seems pretty unlikely. And you know, I suppose it, if 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 kind of you know the cabal, the regime, um, cloned people to disguise the fact that they've been killed by the vaccine. Um, why have they waited this long to do it? I mean, there are plenty of other celebs who've keeled over at a suspiciously young age. Um, Shane Warne, for instance, why didn't they clone him? Why have they just started with Jamie Foxx? Seems like... Uh, so, oh, uh, no, they, they any, say any, that everyone's any, been cloned. They say that Biden's cloned. They've got loads of people they think are cloned. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy topic. I don't know why they can't just... These people need to really take a good look at themselves and just get back onto the centre ground. Michelle Obama's a man. The vaccine's <laughs> dangerous. Do you know what I mean? And just like, you know, the election was rigged, dinosaurs, question mark, and just, that's the sensible centre ground. The, the, the but obviously, James Fake Fox Paul McCartney? Fake Paul McCartney? McCartney? No. Mate, mate. No, no. <laughs> mate. <laughs> Stefan, mate. Um, yeah, exactly. Do they need to come back to the centre with me? Um, Toby, some people think you're a controlled opposition. Probably some people think you're a clone. I mean, you've established <laughs> you're incredibly old. How you have all this energy, you've been around forever. Maybe you've just you're like a vampire. You just like live forever, just multiple clones. Or maybe I'm just a hard worker, mate. <laughs> it could be that. It could be that. And and just, I don't know, you, just, you seem to have a great energy. I'm here constantly ill. Anyway, um, speaking of that, I'm, I'm flagging. I might, I, might, um, I might go and have a tiny break while you do an advert, Toby. What, what do you think? Can you do one of our, one of our two yeah, ads? I can. Um, and I'm doing both of them today because Nick's ill. So, um, our first ad today is from our good friend, our loyal sponsor, The Stack Assistant. Uh, in January 2022, Trudeau sank Canada even further into corona fascism and the Freedom Convoy was born. The truckers had widespread support, but at minus 40, they needed funds for fuel and food. At Trudeau's behest, first GoFundMe, then Give, Send, Go refused to pass on millions in donations. Then, in a glimpse of a CBDC future, not just the truckers, but their Canadian donors had their bank accounts frozen too. But Bitcoin fundraising is unstoppable and kept the truckers going. Just weeks later, Trudeau capitulated. Bitcoin fixed this. For Venezuelan refugees fleeing communism with their life savings stored in their heads. For female Afghan coders excluded from banks yet still able to earn. And for protest groups around the world. Bitcoin is freedom money. The elite want their CBDCs and your vote won't stop them. So if you don't want a Britcoin, then buy some Bitcoin and give and help give the world freedom. 
At the Stack Assistant, we offer free advice to help you stack your first SATs, as the subunits of Bitcoin are called, and securing your stack into self-custody. You can email us on thestackassistant at pm.me. That's thestackassistant, all one word, at pm.me. Thank you for that. And I love the reference to Bitcoin uh, harking back to last week's episode. And I should also say this episode is also sponsored by Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> If you hate free will but love bugs. Um, that was one of our most popular bits ever, Toby. I mean, I'm putting all this work onto these blooming, on the, all these topics, and then the people's favorite bit is just a ludicrous bit about Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, this, this episode is sponsored by Bitcoin and the Stack Assistant, covering all bases. Um, oh, someone has wandered into the shot there. So, um, Toby, uh, I believe you've done the will bit for me because I was fighting for my life. So, I think we should now go over to Toby and Will. So I'm here with Will Jones, the editor of The Daily Skeptic, to talk about the top stories of the week. Um, Will, the first story you wanted to talk about today is the story about the um, collaboration uh, between the German vaccine regulator and uh, BioNTech. Um, the German vaccine manufacturer, which, um, according to our correspondent, Robert Kogan, has led to um, a, 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 what, um, a, a completely ineffective uh, batch of the vaccine um, uh, being released or something along those lines. Yeah, this is a follow on from the story that we've been following, the sensational story about the the apparently placebo batches that were approved by the uh, German regulator for use across Europe, the EU. The big story there was that, well, there, there were these batches uh, that had a very, very low rate of, of side effects, of adverse events. That's just batch variability. That's that was that's known about. That in itself wasn't the story. What made it particularly striking and raised the suspicions of these uh, scientists, these German-speaking scientists, um, who wrote a paper about it. What, what raised their suspicions was the fact that the, it was exactly the same batches that had a low set of side effects, a low rate of side effects that the German regulator, the PEI, that they had not, they had decided for reasons they haven't disclosed not to test for quality quality control testing uh, and this 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 remarkable uh, coincidence between uh, the, the 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 very batches with a low adverse event rate uh, that they had decided that the regulator had decided to waive through as though they knew as though the regulator knew that there was no need to test these how would they know that was the question so that's why the questions uh, been raised and this follow-on article from our investigative uh, reporter Robert Kogon who's, who's really been uh, following this story and covering it uh, for us has um, is has is pointing out this very very cozy relationship uh, that exists between the German regulator uh, the PEI and uh, and Biontech uh, the German firm that uh, developed and manufactures what we call the Pfizer, it's actually the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine, the uh, COVID mRNA uh, vaccine. Um, and he gives uh, loads of examples of how they author papers together. They have joint conferences. Uh, there's a poster in the background of a photograph that he shows showing how the, the regulator seems to see it as, as its job to uh, not uh, not to check or test 
the uh, the vaccine that it's producing, but to approve it um, as though its job is like with the MHRA in this country uh, that June Rain said was an, an enabler, uh, not a watchdog. Notoriously said that, and the, the PEI seems to have adopted the same approach uh, with the BioNTech vaccine as well, of course. Problem there being uh, that you don't keep the public safe from unsafe medicines if you're enabling and approving, uh, not checking and uh, regulating. So, so f- fascinating article. More worrying, uh, more worrying findings from uh, Ro- Robert there, and uh, we're going to keep on following this, and he's going to keep on looking into this story for us. I suppose we should say that the evidence that um, Pfizer BioNTech released a batch of mRNA COVID vaccines, which uh, essentially were a placebo, um, is circumstantial at this point. Um, There isn't uh, a smoking gun. Um, But as you say, an analysis um, of the different vaccine batches um, and the oddity of one particular batch having no adverse events associated with it suggests that there was something a bit different about one of the batches. Sure, it's not it's not one batch, uh, Toby. It's um it's about 20, 20 odd batches. It's a it's a coincidence between twenty different batches and those being precisely the ones that the that the regulator didn't check, whereas all the other um, batches uh, with a higher adverse event rate, event rate um, it did check. So, okay. yeah, it's, uh... but was, yeah, that was just throat clearing on my part. I was going to go on to ask, is the, um, I mean, I can think of two possible motives. One is that they wanted to reduce the overall number of adverse events associated with the mRNA COVID vaccines they were manufacturing by flooding the market with all these placebos because that would bring the average down. Um, but um, that's one one possible motive. I suppose another is that it's probably a lot cheaper to manufacture a placebo than it is the actual vaccine. Does Robert have a suspicion about exactly what's motivated beyond tech in this case yeah i think i think you i think you're right there toby that those are the the two most obvious motives some more conspiratorially minded people would suggest that maybe they wanted some uh, inert uh, vaccines to give to people who didn't want uh, to give to important people who didn't want the vaccine but uh, it's hard to say whether that's that's really got any substance to it but i think the two reasons that you've given are the most are the most obvious and most uh, most likely ones if this is a real phenomenon and not got some other more innocent explanation uh, robert hasn't written about about his thoughts about about why in terms of saying which of those he thinks is more likely so so maybe, maybe we should uh, put that question to him toby and see and see what he says Mm. Yeah, I'm sure this story, um, I'm sure we haven't got to the bottom of this story yet, and we'll be publishing more on it. Um, Okay, the second story you wanted to talk about, Will, is a story that Chris Morrison, our environment editor, wrote about this week, which is the uh, cancellation of John Clauser, the 2022 Nobel Prize winner for physics. Um, He has, uh, he's not towing the line when it comes to the climate emergency and has referred to the corruption of climate science and thinks that there is no climate emergency and said as much um, uh, quite recently. And um, so the cancellations, the no platformings have begun. And the first one was by the IMF, but we suspect there'll be more to follow. Do you want to tell us a bit about that story? 
Yeah, so this is uh, Dr. Uh, John Clauser or Clauser, not sure, I'm going to go for Clauser. The, as you say, the, uh, the Nobel Physics Prize winner from last year, from 2022. And he's really put the cat among the pigeons because as you have pointed out, he is not towing the line at all with the uh, net zero and with the climate change. He has slammed uh, the idea of a climate emergency. He's called it a dangerous corruption of science that threatens the world's economy and the well-being of billions of people. That is not exactly on narrative. Uh, so really put the cat up on the pigeons. We, we covered this story uh, last uh, last week or the week before. Uh, that was a very popular story, went, uh, went viral, uh, unsurprisingly. Big story for someone uh, of his calibre uh, to, uh, to be making these statements. Although, as Chris points out, it's not actually that unusual for physicists and people in the hard sciences who really study the, the actual elements of the, the atmosphere. So gases, liquids, water, you know, these are people who are, who are actually studying the physics of the thing. Uh, for them to be sceptical, of the, the the alarmist and lurid claims of the fanatics of the advocates of of net zero. Uh, so, he, so, but he is one of the most uh, prominent, uh, one of the more prominent to date, uh, using his the stage that he's been given by winning this prize uh, to push this. And sadly, uh, and inevitably, we might say, um, he has been subject to cancellations. The IMF is the first. Um, there's surely uh, there's surely more to follow. Re- really, really sad to see this. As as Chris. Uh, points out what is going on in science that, that they don't want to listen uh, and what is going on among the going on among these people who say they want to listen to the science and yet when they have scientists uh, wanting to, to tell them something that they that, that's contrary to what they're expecting what they want to hear then they then their, their response is to is to throw them out uh, to shut them out to shut their ears and say they don't want to know uh, so so really sad uh, chris quips that uh, that while this uh, with the IMF, of course, uh, is involved in lots of, uh, of economic modelling, uh, but he says that while this this degree of exaggerated inaccuracy might be fine in the land of economics, uh, more robust standards should be encouraged in the world of science. He says, and and should, and isn't that true? Isn't that just true? Yeah. Um, so our third story this week um, is actually by you, um, and it's. Um, a deconstruction of a story in the New York Times, um, which uh, was headlined something like the steep cost of Ron DeSantis's COVID response. Um, uh, but then if you actually read the article, um, the author acknowledges that um, the number of excess deaths in Florida during the pandemic, I think, is below the US average. Um, and um, actually, economically, um, because Florida opened up quicker than almost any other state which had locked down, um, economically, Florida is doing much better than um, states which locked down for longer, like California and um, uh, New York. Um, so it's a sort of odd article in which the New York Times seemed determined somehow to promote the idea that, that there'd been this terrible price to pay um, for... Um, uh, DeSantis's lockdown scepticism, but then couldn't actually find any evidence that a price had been paid in the actual article. Absolutely. Uh, the, the latest partisan ridiculous nonsense from the supposed bastion of, of honest, high-quality journalism, the New York Times. Here we have yet another article, uh, so, so partisan, so, uh, so biased, against, uh, obviously, a, a leading Republican presidential 
uh, contender candidate. Uh, and and as the, the headline talks about the steep cost of Ron DeSantis's vaccine turnabout, it says. So really, so really arguing that or claiming that that somehow Ron DeSantis has had some, been some kind of, of COVID failure as though his state is is one of the losers, one of the worst in, in the country. Uh, but there's, there's the data, and this is the data, um, as you say, there's, that is uh, included in the article itself. So it's not as though we've had to go and find data from elsewhere to debunk what the what the article um, is saying. The article debunks itself. It debunks its own headline because they, they show a graph they show a chart which clearly shows Florida below uh, the average, um, below the average in terms of the number of, of COVID deaths. And also we can see um, elsewhere uh, that it's doing perfectly average, perfectly normal, slightly below average in terms of excess deaths as well. Florida, of course, famously, um, although it did lock down initially um, and went along with the restrictions in the first wave in the spring, uh, Ron DeSantis then came round, uh, listened to the alternative scientist, scientific voices, the Great Barrington Declaration scientists and others, uh, and famously decided before the vaccines were available in the autumn of uh, 2020 to, to not impose any further st- statewide restrictions and to fully reopen um, on a state level and and did not experience any worse. In fact, had a better winter than many other uh, than many other states, proving like Sweden did and and other countries and states as well, but particularly Sweden joined, joining Sweden in in showing that you really didn't need to impose these extraordinary extreme restrictions to cause the curve to come down or or to prevent you know whatever Neil Ferguson was predicting for uh, for America or the UK uh, you just didn't need to do this and so embarrassing all of these alarmists uh, who have who were just calling for all these uh, these extraordinary measures that, um, that have done so much harm yeah I expect if the New York Times had headlined the piece um, the surprisingly low cost of DeSantis's um, vaccine and lockdown scepticism, it would probably have ended up falling foul of a Reuters fact check, um, which we did um, last week, and Chris published a, a rebuttal of that. Um, so our final story this week, Will, is a story by Noah Carl, um, and uh, he points out that there's growing evidence that um, the percentage of young Americans experiencing mental health problems is on the rise. And the rise appears to be um, particularly pronounced among young white women who identify as liberal, which is, you know, American for left wing. So he poses the question, could left wing politics be causing mental health problems? Although another way of looking at it might be that those with mental health problems are attracted to left-wing politics. Uh, what did you make of this story? Uh, well, yes, uh, well, Noah does address the possibility that it could be the other way around. Um, but he points out that there isn't a reduction in the number of uh, conservatives being, um, there isn't a reduction uh, with mental health problems. There isn't a reduction in that. So it does look like that it is a, um, that it is a, a consequence. Um, it does appear to be a consequence of being a, a liberal, um, and particularly, unfortunately, um, a, a, a liberal a woman uh, that uh, that seems to to be causing this this increase in um, and this extraordinary level of mental health problems. And we should say that mental health problems have been increasing across the board. There isn't any category that's seen them them go down. So it is about the degree in which they've they've increased. Um, and the the Pew Research Survey, which was carried out during the pa- pandemic, actually found 
that 56% of white liberal women aged 18 to 29 had had been diagnosed at some point with a mental health condition by their doctors. So more than half of, of young white liberal, that's, uh, that's the American for left-wing essentially, white left-wing women had been diagnosed with a mental health condition. I mean, that's extraordinary statistics. And, uh, and you do wonder if there's an over over diagnosis but even so this is it, should, it would be applying to the same degree to other categories uh, or to the same kind of level mm. um, and the, the, the differences um, are striking there's there's the chart uh, which uh, from the study uh, which uh, Noah has helpfully reproduced in the Daily Skeptic article which you can go and read on the website and it shows there's a huge spike in liberal versus conservative that's left wing versus right wing a huge spike in the difference between their mental health diagnosed mental health issues, and it starts off in a, in the about about eight years ago at around about what three percent, and the, but then over the course of the of the last several years, and I should I should say that it starts before the pandemic. In fact, it starts around about twenty sixteen. So you know the the the, the dire year for uh, for liberals when uh, when Trump won the. Um, the election and Brexit also happened, a UK phenomenon, of course, but it, it made waves around the world. And then you see it just jump up to over to, to around about 17% difference between liberals and conservatives uh, by 2020, uh, which is just just an, an incredible, incredible rise. And as um, as Noah says, he looks at the possibility and it does look like um, it could be the liberal politics and the liberal beliefs that are um, behind it. There was uh, that's the argument, as Noah points out, of John Haidt and Greg uh, Lukianoff, apologies if I've mispronounced their names, uh, in their influential essay, The Coddling of the American Mind, that was written in 2015. And the point that they make, which I think is, uh, which I think is a powerful one, uh, as Noah says, it's not proven, but it, it is definitely sounds plausible. He says that many of the prescriptions of woke ideology are the exact opposite of what cognitive behavioural therapy, that CBT, recommends for patients with anxiety or depression. For example, CBT advises patients to avoid catastrophizing and emotional reasoning while encouraging them to face their fears. However, by obvious contrast, woke ideology tells young people, and especially young women, that they should always trust their feelings that's the opposite of avoiding emotional reasoning. And even innocuous things like words can harm them. That's the opposite of catastrophizing, of course, and, and that they should be looking for microaggressions um, or men harassing them at any, at any uh, given moment, just be go, look, going out looking for those things as though the world's out to get them. And the best way that, that the woke ideology also says, the best way to deal with sources of anxiety is to avoid them completely. Cancel culture, cancel them, close your ears, get rid of them, don't expose yourself to them, find a safe space. Uh, these are what woke ideology says, but that's the opposite of facing your fears. Uh, so so given that CBT is an established and well-regarded way of, of helping people to deal uh, with mental health uh, problems and anxiety uh, and depression problems, the fact that woke ideology is essentially prescribing the very opposite, I mean, that, that provides at the very least, a plausible thesis for what's going on. Yeah, and I, I seem to recall reading Greg Lukianoff on this in particular, who had, who did suffer from quite severe depression. I think at one stage was hospitalised um, and underwent cognitive behavioural therapy and found it very helpful. Uh, I think he also makes the point that um, one of the things he was taught was to not see himself, not think of himself as a victim, but to regard himself as possessing agency, uh, able to do something about 
feeling depressed and about feeling the world was against him. Um, whereas woke culture promotes a sense of victimhood, um, that you are being acted upon by the world and cannot act upon the world. So that's another uh, um, factor in, in, in why being woke has a terrible, takes a terrible toll on your mental health. Absolutely, completely plausible and just, just makes sense. So yeah, just more, more reasons to reject uh, wokery. If only everyone would listen to us, say, eh, Toby. Yes, but then uh, we probably go out of business, Will. Anyway, um, thank you very much for um, telling us about the biggest stories of the week. That was Will Jones. Thanks, Toby. All right, that was Will. Thanks for doing that bit, Toby. Do you mind reading our second advert? Because I'm so poorly. Yeah, our second ad is from our other, perhaps even more loyal sponsor, Thor Holt. And it starts with um, an endorsement um, a testimonial from Dan Hawtrey, CEO, who says, I'm starting to think of Thor as my secret weapon. He's helped me and coached me running my business. Most recently, he helped me fight through one of my biggest fears, public speaking. I was due to give a speech and told Thor about it, highlighting my phobia. Thor couldn't have been more helpful. He turned my phobia into confidence and coached me through my speech over several sessions, managing to build on my confidence every time I spoke to him. The speech went amazingly well. People laughed at my jokes, they asked loads of questions, and I was even invited to speak at another event. So thank you, Thor. You're a superstar. And I have heard this from other people that Thor's helped too. And we refer people at the Free Speech Union who are going through um, a bit of trauma as a result of being cancelled or threatened with cancellation. We refer them to Thor as our in-house counsellor. And they always say just how helpful um, Thor has been. Uh, so I can uh, second what Dan Hawtrey said there. To book your own discovery call with Thor, message him on WhatsApp on 07906 321593. That's 07906 321593. Or you can connect with him via LinkedIn.com slash in slash Thorholt, all one word, T H O R H O L T, and connect. So message him on WhatsApp on 07906 321593. Or connect with him on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Thorholt. All right, thanks to Thor. And now let's go over to everyone's favorite section. It's Peak Woke. Toby, I had a little peek woke here. That's it was just to do with the new Snow White film, which is Snow White in name only, I would say. And the star of Snow White was doing an interview, and she said she's not. It's not 1937, which we know. She's not going to be saved by the prince, and she's not going to be dreaming about true love. She's dreaming about becoming the leader she knows she can be. And and later she says, and the leader that her late father told her she could be if she was fearless, fair, brave, and true. That sounds a bit like a man. Um, and, and I sort of pointed this out. I said, well, maybe the sequel will be uh, Snow White drinking wine after work, crying because her frozen eggs don't work, something like that. And I was accused of misogyny, of course. Someone said I, I, I loathe women. Well, I don't see why I loathe women, just because I'm saying it's not, it'd be nice if she could have love and a husband. Instead, she, she gets a, a job. She gets to be a boss bitch CEO. And then, you know, will that actually be better for her? Maybe it'll be better for her, but it's not it's not clear to me. So... There's just this hatred now, this hatred of, of being a traditional woman. You have to be a, like a man. You have to be a boss bitch. You have to be a leader. And you can't... I mean, what is wrong with the prince, Toby, saving you? And I mean, it, is that so bad? 
Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I mean, she she kind of is a leader in the original story. She's a leader of the Seven Dwarves, isn't she? I mean, she. I mean, she's venerated right. by them, but she also she also kind of you know she's their she's their sort of matriarch, isn't she? Um, so I'm not sure that there aren't some leadership lessons in the original story. I don't think it needs to be updated necessarily. I mean, I, I could do with um, the um, her father. Um, uh, being a bit more proactive in protecting it from the wicked stepmother. I, I read a piece in The Spectator a while back about how useless uh, the deadbeat dads are in all the Grimm's fairy tales. Um, they, they, you know, whether it's Snow White or um, uh, what's the, uh, like uh, Hansel and Gretel. I mean, the, 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 the fathers are just, you know, consistently useless. They can do almost nothing um, to protect their stepchildren. Cinderella, another example. You know, um, the, these, these kind of evil stepmothers just seem to kind of have complete free reign. They're not in any way kind of brought to heel by their, by their husbands. Anyway, um, uh, my peak woke is, um, I don't know if you saw this, but the uh, US uh, women's soccer team, um, and please don't 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 cry out, mate, just yet. Um, the it was at their their debut game against uh, New Zealand. I uh, know against Vietnam, but it was in New Zealand. And um, the Star Spangled Banner was played, and almost no members of the U.S. women's soccer team actually sang the national anthem. Unlike the their Vietnamese opponents who all clutched their breasts and belted out the Vietnamese national anthem, you know. Um, uh, and it was, it was actually pretty shocking. Um, I guess, you know, may, maybe they just don't know the words. I suppose that's possible. Um, but it felt like it was a kind of, it was a, it was a, 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 a premeditated political statement they were making. They just couldn't bring themselves to sing the national anthem of this kind of cishet, patriarchal, fascist country. Did you see where the BBC reporter asked that question, like, oh, being gay is illegal here. How many of your team are lesbians? Did you see that one? And the yeah, FIFA that. Yeah, person stepped it. in and said, yeah. uh, we're not going to answer political questions. He was like, no, no, she should answer. It's like, she should get everyone killed. Idiots. Some sort of typical BBC midwit. Um, yeah, by the way, Toby, there's no way I really like is the original Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, I just read up on the plot because I was trying to figure out, you know, how much change there was in all these different versions of Snow White. In this one, the prince orders the queen to wear a pair of red hot iron slippers and to dance until she drops dead. Mate. <laughs> mate. <laughs> that, that can't be a lot. Mate. Red hot iron slippers. Mate. Someone needed to say mate to that guy. Um, my other Pete wrote then, Toby, did you see that Rachel Levine, the, the so-called transgender assistant secretary of health in America, basically a bloke who's 65 and I know Toby gets shouted all the time on, on this podcast for accidentally misgendering people. So here's a bloke. And um, he has said that that, that um, children can go through the wrong puberty. Isn't that incredible? He talked about what if they go through... Adolescence is hard and puberty is hard. What if you're going through the wrong puberty? What if you feel inside that you're a female, but now you're going through a male puberty? I mean, absolute manners, of course, because I mean, puberty tends to, as people are pointing out, resolve all these dysphorias and when you you know in, in many cases it does and if you know this idea of the wrong puberty kind of reminded me of that of a woody allen movie where she said i finally had an orgasm but my therapist told me it was the wrong kind or my analyst is like really do you have the wrong kind he goes you know i've never had the wrong kind. my worst one was right on the money so it kind of reminded me of that you went through the wrong <laughs> puberty that's quite i didn't know you could do woody allen as well we'll have to bring him on as a Mate, guest next time we do I don't, a i've got tools i don't even use them i don't even use them i've got so many impressions now, haven't i'm building up yeah, a bit yeah. of a repertoire here and that's with a sore throat. 
hidden depths. Um, uh, my my uh, my other peak woke is I don't know if you saw this one, but um, uh, King's College London embroiled in a race row after white lecturers were barred from free Tai Chi classes to tackle racism, apparently. Classic example of reverse racism. Um, uh, but, you know, if I was a white lecturer at um, King's College London, I'm not sure, you know, just how um, unhappy I'd be about being barred from participating in these anti-racist Tai Chi classes. I think I'd be, you know, quietly quite pleased, to be honest. Yeah, it's a definitely a double-edged sword, that one. Um, all right, <laughs> any more, Toby, or should we go to reviews? Let's go to reviews quite a loaded question the way I asked it you can tell I'm just struggling and I've, I'm glad I've mentioned being ill a lot because I know it's the kind of thing that annoys <laughs> podcast listeners so I've just doubled down and mentioned it loads and loads because I could imagine someone writing a scathing review about it so I've just doubled down so that's who I am so this is a good one Nuji Morris says now I know I'm normal well done Toby and Nick your entertaining podcast makes me realize I'm normal which means you must be too I so love listening to your banal banter it's like listening to two old mates down the pub. Best podcast around. Well, why did you have to put that banal thing in it? You're going it five stars. It's not banal, is it? If you're listening every week to this genius five-star podcast, how is it banal? I mean, why do you want to listen to something banal? It's not banal, is it? What's banal about it? No, it's that's, genius. That's it. An odd, odd choice of word, but generally... Maybe was, they don't know the meaning of the review. word. Favorable review, <laughs> but like there was nothing banal about the Bitcoin riff. I can tell yeah, you that I, much. I think the message—the message I hope now has gone out to our reviewers loud and clear. If you want to say something nice about our podcast, if you want to give it five stars, don't qualify it in any way. In any way, uh, the, the, the idea—the idea of a, of, a, of a slightly barbed compliment—that um, uh, that doesn't that doesn't land with Nick. He's gonna—he's just gonna mm-hmm. pick on the one thing in the review that is less than wildly enthusiastic and obsess over it so please if you want to give us a good review just be un- unequivocally unambiguously nice and enthusiastic no yeah, no qualifications yeah. with good reason with good reason because people don't understand what the reviews are toby i've said this before they think they're a theater critic in the 60s and we're all waiting to see oh should we go and see this play no it's a gesture of support and we do thank you for your support but it if you come in and dock stars from us for some obscure reason, you are doing the work of the woke. You are saying, I love this podcast. I want it to continue this labor of love that doesn't really make us any money. That's like hard work every week. And it costs me hours of preparation. And then the two hour podcast, then the description, then coming up with the title. Then Jason has to do all the editing and Will and you. And it's just like, tell you what, I'm going to shit on this podcast. That you know, As if I'm fucking, as if I have a God given right to have this podcast. Yeah, I like what you're doing guys, but two stars because Toby said something wrong once like get fucked this is like it's a it's a gesture sorry to say to our listeners get fucked but it's a gesture of support or it's nothing that's what the review is because otherwise it's ins- if you're a woke infiltrator trying to take us down but if you like the podcast why would you hamper our ability to do it which by reducing our rating and by demoralizing us you reduce the chances of us carrying on it's just like so senseless it's like sort of attacking your own family in public or something it doesn't make any it's not what they think it is but mr banal actually gave us five stars right he did he did and that's good that's good and i didn't mind that one because it was one word this one is the one i mind more more and a bit less four stars funny informed and topical with a welcome dollop of balance thrown in thank you p.s give the tate stuff a rest please that's why five four not five tedious get fucked i mean support the (laughs) podcast or not you can even write to me don't you know give the Tate stuff a rest even though the Tate episodes are some of our most successful ever and some of our most quoted and things like when we had that half an hour debate on him and we may have overdone it slightly but 
give it you can even put that in the comment please give but i i could do with like i could cope with a bit less of the take stuff or something but, but you've doctor staff from us you've harmed the cause it was so important that you got your point about tater cost you wanted to hurt us and now you just reduce the chances of us can we'll we'll just we'll just ruin it for everyone because we'll just stop doing it i will just stop doing it. if i get enough of these views i will just stop doing it um here how about this one toby one more sorry about this tirade i'm i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> upset now um Shoe doe, someone's written like shoe and like a shoe and doe like a deer. The way Nick pronounces shudo could be a new variation on the board game Cluedo. Shudo is an exciting new game where the player tries to shoe an innocent person into being guilty of a crime. J.K. Rowling committed a hate crime in the study. So I understand they've gone for a humorous review and they've given it five, which I appreciate. But they've attacked my accent, Toby. I can't help being from a northern state school. Sorry, I'm not. Sorry, I'm not Oxbridge educated. Sorry, I've got a northern accent. And I don't, you know, I'm basically self-taught an autodidact. So, you know, attacking my accent and my pronunciation. What's wrong with my pronunciation anyway? Well, is it a reference to how you pronounce Trudeau? No, Shudo. The word, shudo, like Shudo, like Toby's a Shudo. Oh, I see, Sudo. A, uh, how, how are you going to say it? Shudo. <laughs> Sudo. That's very subtly different, isn't it? <laughs> quite subtle, yeah. I'm yeah. putting an, what, an extra H in there. I mean, whatevs. Come back when you've got a vocabulary I'd never, like I'd, mine. I mean, I'd, I'm better in... I'd, I'd never noticed it, I have to say. Well, there you go. I'm better in writing than speaking, but, you know, come back... I mean, I'll, I'll do a vocabulary test against anyone, maybe not pronunciation, you know. <laughs> Give me the definition of verisimilitude, and they'll be like, oh, I don't know. Anyway. Well, there you go. But let, let, let that be a lesson to um, our reviewers. Um, anything other than an unqualified rave and five stars will force Nick to rise from his sickbed and embark on a 25-minute expletive-filled rant, which will no doubt say his recovery back weeks. So please, please, for my sake at least, just be nice. <laughs> Fair enough, Toby, but it was nothing compared to your Barbie bit, which I think listeners will confirm was about probably about 18 minutes. Um, but fair enough. Um, there were some other good ones as well. Some people, I think, I, think we've been, I think I've been over those. The usual ones about Toby shouldn't say. Oh, this is a nice one. Favorite podcast, brilliant podcast, and the only one I really look forward to each week. No, sorry, brilliant podcast, and the one I really look forward to each week. Toby is always great value, and Nick is really, really coming into his own. Will is excellent too. Continuations to you all, and well done. That's from Phil... Saint, Saint, or Saint, or Street, Phil Street, uh, St. So that was good, wasn't it? I mean, Nick yeah. really coming into his own. If you really wanted to see it, could be sort of damning with fake praise. Like he's getting there, Nick. But it was certainly if you really wanted <laughs> coming to coming into it. my own. What, what, what did I do wrong before you, ungrateful bastard? I'm already in my own. But anyway, it's positive about you, so that's good. Those are the reviews. That's good. Yeah. I'm in a very good mood, um, and uh, we've done the show. We've done my best, guys. I've moaned a lot. But you don't understand how, if people know how low I was this week, Toby, yes, I moaned a lot in this episode, but I was so miserable this week. I had a health scare, which wasn't a real health scare, which is part of my health anxiety. I had the actual flu and between them, I was just lost in a world of sort of total misery where I was like, you know, what's the point of life type of thing? Really bad. Anyway, so the fact that I've managed to come out and do the podcast, if people realize how miserable I was and how kind of just, just in, just in total despair, they'd be like, oh, Nick's actually, it's actually incredible that I'm doing this. You know what I mean? Like they think it's always Nick's moaning. But if they realize, it's kind of like a miracle that I'm here. Well, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are very grateful. Um, and uh, I'm glad we managed to get one in the can and didn't just put it off for a week. And I'm sure it's 
much more entertaining than me and Isabel um, on stage at the Hippodrome, um, which we'll keep in our back pocket <laughs> for another rainy day. Anyway, I hope we you feel better next that. week. And uh, yeah, 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 I'm sure we will. And if anyone wants to help me feel better, they can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon and they can help me out by buying a coffee, which I'll spend on medicines. And um, Toby, you've got to go. Oh, and by the way, the the, the episode that everyone's been looking forward to with James Dellingpole on the current thing is coming out on Friday. I promise everyone's been like, where's that episode? I put Leo first because of topicality. People are loving the Leo Curse episode, but we have a James Dellingpole coming out soon on Friday. And is there anything you would like to add, Toby? Uh, just to say that um, if any of our listeners have been debanked or are worried they might be debanked, um, the Free Speech Union has just published some FAQs about what to do if you're debanked, what steps to follow, how to submit a subject access request. We've even produced an SAR template that you can download and adapt for your own purposes. And of course, if you want to end up uh, submitting a complaint to the Financial Conduct Authority um, or you want to sue the bank if you discover that they've debanked you because they disapprove of your perfectly lawful beliefs, which is against the rules, um, then join the Free Speech Union for as little as £2.49 a month and we will help you navigate that particular process uh, if we think you've got a case. So yeah, go to the Free Speech Union website, check out our FAQs. And if you like the cut of our jib, please do join only £2.49 a month. Absolutely. And I apologize for the, all my rants about the reviews. I'm just realizing that was probably not Christian. It's probably pride, which C.S. Lewis says is the worst of the vices. And I, I, I just mentioned that, Toby, because I did actually go to church on Sunday. So people can't use that argument against me anymore. Oh, you're Christian. You don't even go to church. So I went back to church and I did find, and it was very nice of my friend uh, uh, Lois to invite me. And um, I went along. I then got very ill after it, which I wonder, was it just like the evil being purged out of me? I did wonder. <laughs> and um, one thing I noticed, though, they don't sing my hymns anymore because I'm from the past. I'm from a little village in the past. They don't sing like one more step along the world I go or, you know, all things bright and beautiful. It's, it's all like weird pop stuff with like, you know, mm. biblical words, but sent to pop music. And they don't say thy. They don't say thy kingdom come. They say your. And so I was a bit, bit but I did like that the, the vicar had a pop at the, uh, the trans the trans movement. So that was yeah, okay. pretty base. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to mention much more traditional hymns rather than what I think of as primary school hymns. I thought you were going to say, <laughs> you know, back in my day, it was I vow to thee my country and onward Christian soldiers. Um, but actually, you, it was all things bright and beautiful that you were missing. Oh, never mind. So um, is that um, so to you? That's a kind of their sort of nouveau garbage. I yeah, because I'm, a, I'm yeah. a boomer. So yeah. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Okay, well, maybe that... Well, it was interesting. Someone said to me um, that... The the, church, the the woke churches, the ones that have the most traditional stuff, are actually the most woke, and that the most based ones now are the ones doing these kind of pop stuff because the other yeah, ones are just true. people going along for the aesthetic and kind of actually, but they've been captured. Quite interesting point. Mm. Anyway, mm. all right, thanks. So you've got to go, haven't you? So uh, let's wrap it up there, and um, hopefully next week I'll be feeling better and won't constantly talk about my ailments. And so we'll see you then. But until then, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. Stay skeptical.